I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. Yeah, I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, James, uh, big weekend for the Leafs. Lots to talk about, lots to discuss, some good, some bad. Uh, really, honestly, good should be the, the overwhelming theme of the day based on the wins that they had over Boston, Carolina, back-to-back nights. I think we were looking at this back-to-back a few days ago and being like, oh boy, this this is about as tough a back-to-back as you can have early in the season. Then, you know, Samsonov gets hurt, uh, midway through that game against Boston it's like oh boy and yet they come away with two really big wins what was your takeaway from the weekend it's a good thing they didn't fire the coach Jonas it's a good thing it's a good thing they didn't blow it up that's your serious takeaway <laughs> that's not my you know it's uh the the whole week you include the Philadelphia game they obviously they go three and0 but it's there were a lot more instances where you were like okay yeah this is this is what this team is supposed to look like and this is how they're supposed to play and even the you know the Carolina game like that's almost a schedule loss right like it's you're going in oh yeah back to back on the road the game starts at five o'clock like they just finished playing at 10 o'clock the night before yeah but remember okay like you you have to mention the time change like they did gain an hour so it was like a six o'clock start basically okay <laughs> okay and like, I, come on yeah i know but like <laughs> flying to carolina which is not close and then playing the next night nope. against and, and you're missing your top your two goaltenders and you're playing a basically an yep. nhl guy you know, you look at all of those factors is like, boy, if they can get a point out of this or if they can just, you know, and and I would say the Hurricanes carried the balance of play in that game, but Toronto held their own and, you know, they did what they needed to do to win that game on the road. And part of, you know, watching the that Carolina game, part of what stood out to me is that the Leafs game breakers just came through right when they needed them to. Like they just, you know, Marner with the pass to Tavares and then Nylander obviously gets the goal that he does and... 
you know, they were able to hang in the game until their big guys were able to break through and get a couple of goals and, and, and win the game. And that's what they weren't getting enough of in the first, you know, nine, 10 games of the season. A hundred percent. And so we're going to get into what's going on with the goalies. We're going to talk about the D. We'll talk about the greatest player on the team, Dennis Malkin. Uh, but, but we should start with what you're mentioning. Um, I was going to, like, as you were talking, I was thinking, like, the better win was was the Boston game. Like, that was a really impressive game. That's the best game they played all season. It's not even close. But maybe the more impressive win is actually the Carolina game, just because of how things were going, who's playing in net, um, everything you mentioned about travel. Like, to kind of hang around in that game, they didn't give up really anything. Like, they didn't generate anything for half the game, but they didn't give up anything. And you think of, like, how do you survive for however long with a third-string goalie? That's kind of how you do it, right? Like you, you kind of lock down and not really force him to be great or even good. Like he was fine. How much do you think like the team plays differently with Shawgrin in the net and and like it's it's almost like it's more like a collapse mentality or something like that. I I I wonder if it's almost like uh, it's not something you're intentionally doing. But it's like sub, what is the, like subconsciously, like you're thinking like we can't, we, we kind of have to play it safe because we have this guy who's young and experienced, unproven in the net. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And, and full marks to Shogren. You know, the thing about, the thing I think about him, Jonas, is that, you know, the experience level and like technique and everything that is not really necessarily NHL level every game, but. He doesn't seem to get really rattled the way that some young goalies would. Like he doesn't seem he doesn't good point. He, yeah, he doesn't see, point. like you put him in again against Boston and it's like, okay, maybe he's not gonna be like the most technically sound guy, but he's also not flopping all over the place and like getting really like he, he seems to be able to keep his composure is is what seems to be one of the hallmarks of his play. So, you know, if the Leafs can play reasonably well defensively, they have a chance to win some of these games. Uh, as he yeah, it's, as he battles in the crease, it's a really good point because like that first goal he gives up, like that's a bad goal. That's not even like anything. And you could see like a goalie in his situation. He'd played I think eighteen games in the NHL to that point. You could see a guy kind of crumbling at that point and and kind of melting down. The next shot beats him, and it's like oh boy. But he didn't. He was kind of just like he just kind of carried on. He didn't allow obviously another goal. He didn't face a ton like we're talking about, but like. There were some chances, um, and and maybe that's I don't know. Like you look back to last year, like he didn't play great, but he he kind of just did enough for them to be able to win. You know what I mean? What's uh what's his save percentage up to on the season now? Like he's probably I think he was eight eighty four coming into the game. Like he's probably getting to the point where the number is getting respectable. He's at nine oh four. He is which at is- yeah. I mean that's that's pretty that's pretty solid. I mean if your third guy can give you a 904 then then you're doing okay. Well, over the weekend he stops uh what is it? 36 of 37 shots. Obviously the seven in relief of of Samsonov. So let's talk about that because the goaltending situation I mean it's still not great um what's going on. We don't know as of this recording like by the time people listen to this uh you may know how long Ilya Samsonov is, is going to be out. He'll miss at least a week. He's on IR. Um, we don't know when Matt Murray's going to be back. He's supposed to join the team at Tuesday's morning skate, but like it's still TBD. It's still not a great place to be in, especially like I, you think, well, Matt Murray's coming back. Everything's going to be okay. It's like 
I don't know what they're going to be able to get from Matt Murray. I don't know if Matt Murray is going to be able to stay healthy. Like there's well, even the if goal, the crease Murray right now back, is still yeah, uh, yeah. Even with Murray back, I was going to say you can only play him in like half the games, right? Like you can't he he can't just come yeah. in and play every game. I mean he's he's missed a big chunk of time. So uh, if if Samsonov's injury is more than a week or two, then then Shogren's here for quite a long period of time, and he's going to need to to continue to to battle and, and kind of figure things out at the NHL level on the fly here. Yeah. So he'll presumably start, um, the Vegas game. I would think he, he starts again, uh, against Pittsburgh on the Friday. Is it Friday or Saturday? It's Friday. Uh, and then they, they play again on Saturday against Vancouver. So that's either Petrozilli or Murray. I'd like, I probably not Murray. He's probably next week. I guess struggling Vancouver um, is the game that you give against the, you, yeah, you're, you're less experienced, quote unquote, guy. <laughs> Shogren's going to have his 20 games by then, so he's he's miles ahead of Petrozelli. <laughs> yeah, he's like the grizzled vet. Yeah, of the um, crease. But do you can you remember? So I've been thinking do, about Jones, this. Do you remember another yeah. time when they've had two goalies that have played under 20 NHL games as their two netminders? No, I can't remember. Can you? Like, I mean, there was a time when like Bebo was backing up but never played. Right. Um, Trying to think who else there would well, have been. Well, like no, maybe like they, when Scrivens first came in or something. Remember when like when it would have been like Scriven Sparks? Was that a thing? Where mm, they? I don't think they were together. Were they? Who was Sparks back up were. when some of those games in that? Anyway, but like you know, you've been around the team seventeen years, and I don't think we've seen two rookies in the in the crease. No, it's not a good situation to be in, obviously, and so. I've been thinking about this like over the weekend and and I wrote after the game on Saturday that like, and, and this is something I think we talked about in the summer. I think it was something I wrote in the summer that I always thought it was kind of a mistake not to get someone more experienced in the, the, the three position just because A, Shalgren had barely played and hadn't played like especially great and B, like you had Matt Murray who has been hurt all the time and so like you're kind of setting it up for him to get hurt and you're going to have to use this other guy. Do you think, do you think it's fair to say that they should have gone out and got someone who was a little more experienced than, than Shogun in the summer to be their three or no? Do you think what they were thinking Jonas is that Joseph wall wall was going to be, like, but he's the same thing. Like he's never like no, he played like four but, games. But maybe they were thinking like one of Wall or Chalgren, whoever's playing better, deserves an opportunity. They don't want to bring in some veteran guy that's going to block those guys. And then Wall gets hurt. I can't remember the timeline when Joseph Wall needed the surgery and whatever, and how much time there would have been to to kind of pivot what they were doing with the Marleys. But the other thing too is remember that one year, two years ago, they tried to go to have a better number three with Aaron Dell and they just couldn't get him through waivers. Like they, they just lost him. And yeah, that's one of the tricky things with that third goalie is that often most of them require waivers to go through. And if there's a team around the league that has an injury, they can get claimed really easily. So um, even if they would have had a veteran guy there to come in as the number three, there's no guarantee they would have been able to hang on to him. Fair, but that at least suggests that it's something you, can try to do you should try to do like i mean i guess the question boils down to in some ways is aaron dell even though he's played many games in the league is he any better than shalgren 
I don't know. Like, and, and maybe they're just saying, maybe they're just thinking to themselves, we've done the Michael Hutchinson thing. We've done what you suggested with, with Dell. Um, we traded for David Riddick at the deadline yeah. and he was bad. Like, why are we going to invest resources in, in someone who might not be any better? And yeah, like it, it, you can come into a situation like this where it's like, oh my God, like what if this guy who's never played in the league well, kind of unravels? I th- you're like, you're kind of. Yeah. I think they liked Petrozelli too. And I know that that's not like a good, that's not like a good plan for your NHL crease. But no. I think if, I think if you're thinking of, like, I think they wanted him to play in the HL, not in the ECHL, right? They wanted him to get games there. They feel like he's got some ability. He was a, a high third round pick for the Detroit uh, uh, five years ago, and a really good goaltender in the NCAA. And he's six six, and it, it's it's something you have to balance when you're a, an NHL team with your goalies is that you don't want to block your young guys because you're worried about. The, the, I guess the only counterpoint to that is that. Matt Murray's injury history is is a big factor in all of this, and yeah, I, I think that Jonas coming into the year, like they had in the back of their mind, like we might need to acquire like a, a real NHL goaltender at some point during the season, based on how this goes with these two guys. Yeah, and it, I mean, based on what's happened now, do you think that that it depends? Should how, be something that they do. It depends how long Samsonov's out. Like if he's only out a week, then no. If Samsonov's out, I would say four or five weeks or more. I was texting you after the game. I was like, boy, I don't know. That didn't look very good. Like just the way he bent over the knee and everything. And, but you pointed out that he played, you know, through to the end of the period. So, and not just like two minutes, like 15 minutes. Yeah. So it's hard to know how long he's going to be out here. If he, you know, if he tore his knee all up, then it could be quite a long time. What would worry me if I were them is like, even if both guys come back, like the Murray thing, like would really kind of freak me out. It's like he's made one start and he was hurt. Like, what are you going to be able to get from him, and how much? Like, I don't know that that that. I, I guess you've kind of committed to this plan. There's nothing you can do, but it kind of would make me think. You know what? Maybe we should get someone who's a little more experienced, because like we don't know what we're going to be able to get from Matt Murray. We don't know how much he's going to play. Like this is we talked about this I think before the year. Like this is not going away. The goalie situation is going to be a year long conversation right what do you do though do you just like carry three guys at certain points of the season i mean i i, I guess yeah that's a good question i, I guess mean, you, you could, could you could tr- acquire a guy and just put him on waivers and if you lose him you lose him i don't know you could probably waive murray too like i don't think anyone's gonna claim him right so like if he plays some games with like he played some games in the hl when he was with the senators like maybe he's coming yeah. back from injury and was not you know you, you you put him you put him with the marlies for a couple weeks or if you have three guys the one situation yeah. that's interesting I mean, is what's going on in Vegas. I was talking to our beat writer, Jesse Granger, who does a great job covering the Golden Knights. And, uh, you know, they've got a three-goalie situation coming there where they've got the kid, Logan Thompson, who's played really, really well. They they traded a pick for Aiden Hill from San Jose to be their backup. And then they have Laurent Brassois, who is coming back. Uh, and so they're going to have three goaltenders. they got a relatively tight cap situation. Um, I think that, you know, in a perfect world, Vegas would like to trade Brassois, who makes what was it, 2.35 or something in that neighborhood, which is a lot for the, yep. the Leafs to, to take on, I think. But, you know, so that's one situation where, I mean, Ottawa's another team, you know, with Talbot being back healthy now, they've got three goalies as well. 
Part of what you do, Jonas, is you watch the waiver wire, and you know it, it often happens where yeah. teams are, are bringing guys up and sending them through waivers, and you you see goalies on waivers quite a bit. Well, and your point to me was, I mean, one of those Vegas guys could be on waivers any day now, right? Like they're going to have to do something. Yeah, but I think don't they? I think if you're doing that, I th- think. I think if you're Toronto, you don't claim them on waivers. You you try and make a trade with them where they retain some of the salary would be what I would try and do. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. I would call I, mean, I would call Vegas and say and you could wait till the he, like Brussois is probably gonna clear waivers at at his salary and, and coming off an in, yeah. an injury and everything. Clears waivers, that's goes right. down, and then Vegas is carrying you know, 1.2 million on their cap. And you say, Hey, will you retain some of this and and we'll take them? You know, if the Leafs could get a guy yeah, the, like that in at like 1.4 or 1.5, it might make a lot of sense. Cause even if the ends yeah, up, I think so. even if he ends up with the Marlies or whatever, it's not going to be, it's not going to hurt your cap situation. Well, and I know your point, like about, you don't want to block the young guy, but like, you don't have to play him a bunch with the Marlies. Like it's just, you play him, I don't know, every third game just to kind of keep him well, in the mix. And then like, if you need him, like, you're not calling up a guy who's played 17, 18 games and the guy who's never played in the league. You know what I mean? Like Petrozoli's like barely played in the AHL. Like he has no experience. Well, you know, He's unde- just college. Undefeated. Um, it, it, do you know <laughs> yeah. when Joseph Wall is supposed to be back? Was it sh- I don't, shoulder like, surgery? Like it was a pretty but, significant. But again, James, that's the same. That's the same thing. No, like I just, he, I just like, you just want to like give ice time to these guys, right? Like if all of a sudden they've got Shogren and Petrozelli and Wall all looking for starts, it can feel a bit crowded down there. Yeah, that's fair. I mean they do have the ECHL. But yeah, fair point. We gotta get back anyway, we gotta get back to Newfoundland. The show that we did from there is one of the yeah. the all time highlights of the podcast. That feels like nine years ago. Like the amount of stuff that's happened. It's, I mean the amount of stuff that's happened already this fall. Like training camp seems like it was like Six months ago, and it was not. I think maybe we've exhausted goalie talk. It was. You know, we have. Oh, it's time for a break. Yeah. It was. It was interesting to see Freddie Anderson give up the goals that he did there to decide the game wow, in that the was, Leafs' favor. That that was reminiscent of some of the stuff you saw with Freddie Anderson in Toronto. Reminded me. I of, mean, I, we should talk about that for a second, James. That that Neilander play, like that is it was awesome. That's impressive. Like that, I, well, I've he's, obviously he's up against yeah, the best defensive defenseman in the league. Well, and like it would have been very easy for him in that situation to just be like, you know what, there's, there's nothing happening here. But like he persists and persists and persists, and like that that puck has to be stopped. But like that, he wins that play and wins that goal just through sheer determination, which is not something like he's necessarily known for. So when you see it, you're like, yeah. Well, pretty I, impressive. I, I call him William Steelander because I like he does have the. Oh, do you? He <laughs> he does have the ability <laughs> to strip the puck like that sometimes. Like I think he doesn't get enough credit for how good he can, he can be in those those situations. Agreed. Uh, all right, let's take a break, and then I want to talk a little bit about some of those top six guys. We got to talk about your guy Dennis Balgan, and uh, I want to talk a little bit about the defense, and then we'll get to the pod back. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. 
See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Okay, James, uh, you mentioned off the top that their star players are starting to come through for them. You know, John Tavares scores that goal. It's set up by Mitch Marner. You mentioned the Nealander goal. Uh, Matthews had scored in five straight before the Carolina game. And yet, I, I still don't think those guys are are totally going just yet. Uh, what's your What's your sense of of I guess their their top four forwards? Well, Tavares has had a really good start. I, I like the way that Nylander looks in terms of his his skating. Um, Matthews, you know, it's some of the goals are starting to fall, and I think with that's going to come. He's going to be in the rhythm and and confident and everything. Um. You know, last year the, the 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 big guys started slow too, so I don't I don't know if that's a thing or 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 why that would be the case. But um, you know, the funny thing too, Jonas is it's not like they've like really changed anything up on them. Like they got the you know Bunting still there. They're playing Kerfoot back with Tavares and Nylander again. Like it's not it's not like they have a new line mate or something to get used to, or a new system or a new coach or. Like it, it shouldn't be. There shouldn't be an adjustment period, but for whatever reason, it it looks like there is. Maybe like the power play, they you can tell that they they they've changed quite a bit there, but it hasn't really been the power play where their lack of scoring has been really evident. It's really been even strength where they've had a hard time breaking through. Yeah, I don't really think we've seen. I don't think I, I guess what I'm saying is is Marner and Matthews to me have not looked like the Marner and Matthews of last year, and that line has not looked the numbers like the, James. It's, what's weird is like the numbers basically look pretty similar defensively. They've been worse. They're not generating quite as much. Uh, I don't think they've been like on the hunt as much as last year, where they're like turning pucks over they constantly haven't. and creating chances off that. I got a stat for you. Um, Can I throw a stat in? The, go ahead. So, yeah, I love it. Go so ahead. last three games possession. Uh, Marner is at 45.7% yeah. and Bunting yeah. is at 43.4%. So when you have that first line, like that's, that's towards the bottom on the team. There's, there's not that many guys below them. Bunting's 18th on the, I mean, we're only looking at a three game sample size, but yeah, th- those big games, they win the three in a row. Uh, they're not really heavily controlling play with their, their best players on the ice, their, their top line on the ice, which is, unusual yeah and that's how it feels like i'm glad you brought that up because like i had looked at after like two periods in that carolina game and marner was at like 10 percent or something and and obviously keith changed around the lines midway through the game guess jonas guess jonas on the team who's number one over the last three games i actually i know this it is (laughs) my friend dennis malgan yeah well good for him all right so we'll talk about that in a second okay yeah i i just the guy I, i mean I I wrote about Marner on Monday morning. He doesn't look the same as he did in the second half last year. Like it it really is sticking out to me. He doesn't have the puck as much. He's not as clean with the puck when he does have it. He's not shooting it as much. 
and and it's like easy to forget like just how amazing he was in the second half last year. And it's like if they can get that guy back, obviously their ceiling is raised and that that line is raised. And we just haven't seen that, and we haven't seen the best of Matthews yet. And and like it is early, but it is notable that those two guys. It it doesn't feel like it's clicking the same. And I wonder if they should keep this up and keep them apart for a little bit because I just it, it feels a little stale to be honest. You know what's interesting is that it it kind of looks like Bunting is the yeah. Well, his numbers are. You know, I'm looking at expected goals now. The last three games, he's at 35. percent you know, and the other guys are higher. Like Matthews is closer to 50% when he's on the ice, but, you know, and again, small sample size and everything, but I don't, it's really unusual to see Marner not controlling play. Like it's, it's not unusual for him to have some dry spells in terms of point production and things like that, but for them to just not be spending a lot of time in the offensive zone, yeah, it's, it's pretty surprising. And it's part of why I think, you know, they've had the the possession and the, issues with uh, controlling the scoring chances most of the season and the top line not being the 60% or whatever they were at last year where they were completely dominant. That's that's a big part of that. So what would you do? Keep them apart for a little bit? Yeah, I don't mind. I, I think every time you see Marner out there with Tavares, like, I mean, look at the goal that they scored. Look at the move that Marner made there and Tavares is right there. There's something about those two that works well together. You know, you get the guy that can really dangle and move around the perimeter and, and open space. And then you have the guy who just can convert on good looks every time. Not that Matthews can't, but that Tavares is a weapon if you get him right in, in the house there, like right in front of the net. Well, and he looks, um, he struggled obviously in the second half last year. And I was concerned about that coming into the year. He looks great. Like he... The fact that like he's a little quicker seems to really make a difference. His hands look, I mean, as good as they've looked since he's been in Toronto. Like he's been dangerous. When anything is around the net, like it feels like he's converting or or at least generating a really good opportunity off of that. It's just like if you're gonna do it, James, I kind of feel like you need to let these guys know that we're gonna give this some some life. Like I kind of think sometimes what I've seen from Marner when he plays with Tavares in like these short stints, that it, it feels like it zaps a little bit of, of something from him. Like it, it feels maybe maybe it feels like a little bit of a demotion that you're not playing with Matthews. Well, those not. guys love playing together. I mean, that's that's part of what and and, right. they, and they both had the monster season last yeah. year. So I mean yeah, to that point, like Mar- Mark Masters was asking Marner last week about, you know, Sheldon Keefe basically said, like, he's not going to break you guys up yet, but like, blah, 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 blah. And Marner basically said, like, why would you break us up? Like, we're we're amazing. Like, we're, like we're, we generate lots of chances. But it's like, I don't know. I, I kind of think it might be time just to put that on pause. And I, honestly, I'd like to see Neander with Matthews for a little bit. Um, and you mentioned bunting, like he was sat down for a little bit after he took that penalty and he wasn't the guy who ended up with Tavares and Marner. That was Robertson. Like he was playing with Yarncroc and Engvall. So clearly, like you're saying, like he's not had the same effect as last year. So Tavares is tied for 16th in NHL scoring early on, uh, 15 points and, and leading the Leafs. I mean, that's. 
that's one of the good news stories of the Leaf season so far is the way that he's played. And one of the things that, you know, the organization has talked about, and I think Tavares has talked about as well, is that because of the injury he had in the Montreal series, his his offseason a year ago wasn't as good as, as this year. So, um, you know, credit to him for the work that he's put in to to get to where he is right now. And it'd be pretty interesting if he can keep this up. I mean, right now he's three points up on Marner and four points up on Matthews. And I don't know, you know, if Tavares has like a 90 point season or something like that at, at, you know, year, what is it? Year five of the contract. It's hard, hard, yeah. hard to believe he's been in Toronto that long. Um, that's, that's certainly something I don't think a lot of people were predicting coming into the year. No, that would be a huge deal for them. Uh, I mean, yeah, and he's been obviously a lot of those points have come on the power play. He's been excellent on the power play. That's one part of his game where it's like that should remain potent for the next few years just because he is so good around the net. Um, let's talk about Malgin. Not a sentence I thought I would ever be saying. Not as like I texted you uh, midway through that game against Carolina that he was their best player, and I was like, "Well, it's like." We've my got, mind is blown. We've got, oh my god! We've got thirty-three minutes left on the podcast, and I think that most of those should be Malgin. So, where do you want to start? I mean, I I'm blown away that this is happening. Like because the start of the year, it, it kind of felt like it was the same thing that was happening before. Like in that brief stint after the trade, right? I had people around the league they were watching with other teams. They're like, "What? Like you can't." People were saying you can't have Robertson and Malgin on the team. Like it's two small, skilled guys that just, you know, the it's the same thing with the Leafs going with like the small, skilled guys. And then you know what's the funny thing is, is that what where Malgin looks the best is with David Kemp on like a checking right? line. <laughs> That's insane, James. Like I, I mentioned it on Monday, the shots for them they've played like twenty two and a half minutes, I think. The shots for the Leafs are 19 to 3 when those guys are out there. That's insane. Sheldon Keefe puts that line together for the Philadelphia game, right? Was that the first game that they played together? And and the, the, uh, the lineup yeah. the, the lineup comes out and you see it and you're like, okay, Malgin. What the hell? <laughs> Malgin's playing with Camp and Aston Reese. Like, how long is that going to last? And like, what is the p- purpose of that line? Like, David Camp is your checker. Do we really think that, that Dennis Malgin can be out there on a checking line? But then... You know, again, you know, like we said off the top, like all of the, you look at, you look at the possession numbers last three games, the top three guys on the team are those three guys. And they haven't really been, I mean, they've been, they've been getting a lot of defensive zone starts. Like they've been playing a lot in the D zone and I don't know, Jonas. Yeah, James, do you just think to stop you there. Do you think it's like easy minutes against, that they're getting or? No. Yeah. So against Carolina, that line plays 10 minutes and three seconds. They have zero offensive zone faceoffs. They have literally finished the night with a zero percent offensive zone faceoff percentage, and yet they finish at over seventy percent expected goals. And they're not like so the Boston game. Like they're not always getting the toughest matchups. Like in that Boston game, Matthews was facing Bergeron, but like they're not they're not sheltering them. Like Malgin's been. He's been like feisty and I can't remember who I talked to when I was on the road and they they made they'd mentioned that Malgin when he was in Florida that was kind of who he was like he was kind of physical he was like kind of a pest and like we hadn't seen that guy 
in that really brief stint when he got traded here. No, he just um, looks like a like, guy that's just like had no confidence and like would get the puck and just get yeah. rid of it right away. And like he really didn't look like much of anything the last time we saw him play in Toronto. Yeah. And so I'm looking at the Carolina game on natural statric like that. Their line basically faced mostly the the Carolina second line, like Svechnikov, Kotkaniemi, uh, Natchez, Jarvis. Like the Leafs aren't practicing today on Monday, but I, 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 correct me if I'm wrong. No one has has anyone asked Keith about the Mulgan resurgence. I, I, oh, I guess who did, James? I did before the weekend, and and basically he said like he said exactly what we're talking about. Like it's it's kind of um, surprising that he's had the success where he's had it. But he said what what Malgin has really helped with is like he's been really attuned defensively and his skill also helps him defensively because when there's a puck to get out of the he zone, like he's out, helping yeah. them to – he gets it out. And also when they're on offense, like he's skilled enough that he's keeping them on offense a little bit longer. And like Asin Reese has really come on here. Like we can talk – and I actually forgot to put it on the schedule, but we can talk about Abe Kubel. But like he's kind of – Malgin and or Aston Reese kind of helped lead to Abe Kubel going on waivers and leaving. Like they had hoped that the line would be Aston Reese, Camp, Abe Kubel, and the numbers for that three, three some were like terrible. Well, Abe Kubel just like looked completely, completely out of place. Like he just he okay. Well, let's talk about that for like two minutes because I I think it's. Very, 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 very surprising to waive a guy you sign on the first day of free agency for one million six games into his career with you. That suggests that there is something that they really did not like. I don't know what it is, but no, like, isn't it weird? You kind of mentioned that it seemed like in the dressing room that he seemed a little bit out of sorts. And then, but I just on the ice, there were just some of the decisions he was making and even just like positioning when he was out there and I, w- I just wasn't sure what he was doing so I don't know part of it is Jonas like they're they're at the contract limit they needed to shed somebody maybe they were I mean they did offer him up around as as a trade I mean he, there's not really anything they didn't really lose anything I'm just surprised that they wouldn't try and hang on to a guy like that and keep him as your 13th forward I guess they've decided at least right, James. Like six games into his career, like you've seen enough. Like you don't think he can have any value, and yet, I mean, like a few months ago, he was one of the first guys you signed. Like that, that's that's weird to me. I like like I like him. He did not show anything. You're right. It's just like I I look at their bottom six guys, and it's like uh, I mean, I I still don't totally know what they have. If they run into injuries, then it might be like all of a sudden you're playing some guys that. You know, like they they played Holmberg in a game and like they're going to be, I don't know, maybe they feel better about some of the guys in the Marlies. Like I know Joey Anderson's played well, played yeah, well down Joey there Anderson. and like they, they've had some guys with the Marlies off to good starts. So maybe they feel like they've got enough depth that waiting for Abe Kubel to figure it out isn't something that they really need to do. It's a good thing that they did free up the contract slot because that was the only, <laughs> yeah. that was the only way they were able to sign the goalie. Yeah, crazy timing on that, huh? They knew. Um, they the knew. Only, Spidey they, sense. Yeah. They knew Samsonov was going to get hurt. Um, the only other thing I wanted to mention before we get to the bod bag um, is it's crazy. So, like, I wrote after the LA game uh, where Justin Hall had that really tough night. He took a couple penalties. He was on for a couple goals against. I wrote, like, they need to do something. Like, they have to put him back with Brody because, like, 
this isn't working and they changed the pairings the next game. And ever since then, the Brody Hall combination has just been like lights out. I, I, I just am astounded. Like Brody, he's just like the fix it man. Like it's like all of a sudden Hall's playing with him and like you, you don't notice Hall anymore. Well, it seems like Hall. It's, it's nuts. It's like when Muzzin was playing well, he was like kind of. Yeah, good call. It's like his confidence is just completely different when he has a partner who he feels like he can 100% trust. So we should talk about the blue line a little bit. I mean, the the other thing that that happened this week is they get Lilligren back. Lilligren's first game is a really tough one against Boston. They put him on the first pair with Morgan Riley, and, and it's like well, I don't know about this against Boston, and he plays really really well. So you know, that's another. You know, the blue line looked so out of sorts for the first ten games of the season, and part of it is you you know you're missing Muzzin, you're missing Lilligren, uh, and. You know, for all the talk about how well the blue line played last year, it's probably not good. I mean, they're, they're missing Labushkin too. It's probably not good enough to subtract two or three guys and and still be the caliber that it was last year. No. And now things for Riley and Brody, or Riley and Brody, Riley and Lilligren did not go as well against Carolina. But to me, James, like what you could really notice is Lilligren could really move the puck and like suddenly you add him to Riley and it's like, yeah, that that kind of makes some sense. Like they had kind of been cycling through like Mete and like yeah. I just worry about they, like holding holding the blue line and and like clearing the front of the net. Yeah, and coming like, off an injury. Yeah, well, that clearing the front of the net is kind of was like to me like his biggest issue last year, right? Yeah, it was like a Sandine Lilgren issue that they were getting beat, and that's part of why you can't play those two guys together. And but if he can move the puck as well as he did on the weekend. I, I mean, it'll be interesting to see how his minutes go and like what kind of competition they use him against. And they, they still don't, I guess you're thinking Brody and Hall is, is your shutdown pair, but it doesn't really. They are. Yeah. I mean, it, I think that if you get another right shot defenseman, you spend some of the money that you've got from Jake Muzzin on LTIR, then all of a sudden, I think you've got something with this blue line. Like, if you can get another top four guy into the mix, I think you're in a good spot. Well, can you just mention some of those guys you brought up in your story last week, just about potential guys that they could add? Yeah, I mean, some of them, I like some of them more than others. I mean, I think we've talked about Klingberg. I mean, he's not exactly what what they need. Uh, Chikrin is the one a lot of people are excited about, but he's a left shot, and he's going to cost you a fortune to acquire. He's had lots of injuries. I would be a little bit worried about Chikrin. Um, and then there's, you know, there's some like less sexy guys. Like there's, uh, uh, Scott Mayfield. Yeah. Well, he's, I mean, that would be ideal. Don't say Goss despair. Well, I'm just, I'm just saying like, who's potentially available that you're not going to have to pay a lot to get. That's the thing is like, I mean, like Shattenkirk is someone I was just looking at Justin Braun's a guy we've talked about, uh, quite a bit. I mean, even if you get, you're getting someone like him in there that can be, a second slash third pair guy that that plays on the PK and gives you a different element. I think maybe potentially that's something that you're looking for. Jordy Ben's up with the Leafs, so you know he might get mixed in here for an opportunity soon. It, it has to be someone who's better than what they have would be the only qualification. Like Gosses Bear is not better than who they have. I mean, one of the guys you'd mentioned was Klingberg. It's like uh, I don't. Well, it's not really the I, style I of defenseman that they need, right? I mean, yeah, Kulikov's another name that I had on the list. I mostly just went down yeah. the list of, of you know, who would be fantastic, and I don't know that they're looking to trade him, is Gavrikov in Columbus, I think would be really, really good. Yeah, and he is used to playing tough minutes. 
They're not good defensively. It doesn't make much, I don't think. Yeah, he's like 2.8, I think, but he's going to be a UFA and Columbus is bad. And like, I think you'd probably have to give up something pretty good to get him because he's definitely a top four guy. He can definitely play against other teams' top lines, bring some physicality. Remember that series when the Leafs played against Columbus? Gavrikov, I do. Gavrikov was a real problem. They call him, call him the octopus, I think. Like, he's just, he's really, really hard to handle down low in the defensive zone. So I know. I'm pretty sure the Blue Jackets would like to keep him, but you know, if you if you start dangling, you'd probably have to. Like I said, you have to give up a good prospect or a first round pick to get him. But he's the kind of player that would be like an upgraded version of Labushkin, really. I like that. Yeah, good one. Um, Punch our producer notes that Justin Hall got the player of the game thing after the Carolina game. They got uh, a, the belt. They got a wrestling belt. Apparently, it's from Edge. The the wrestler the the local wrestler the big leaf fan is he he's a big leaf fan I think I believe so yeah I think he's from Orangeville no all right yeah uh, we should take a break and get to the pod bag all right James it's uh, pod bag time a reminder to support your local businesses I had a great burger the other day from one of my local businesses in Toronto Rosie's great burgers that's my plug do you have any plugs uh, I am lacking in plugs. I gotta say, I haven't uh, haven't been hitting right. that many many local restaurants lately. I've gotta be. Do honest. you know where you should go, James? Do you are you guys like a big fish and chip family? Uh, I would say no. Oh, really? That's disappointing. <laughs> I would say there's a really good fish and chips place on the Danforth. You'll see, Jonas. When you have a four year old, you're not gonna you're not going to like fancy. Fish and chip places. Fancy yeah. fish and wait, yeah. wait, 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 wait. Fish and chips is like the the least fancy meal you can get. Yeah, well, it's uh, Len Duckworth. That's the place, James. The anyway, whatever. Little kids, it's like McDonald's or nothing. Lots of time you go to a restaurant with a little kid, and it's like, why did we come here? What, what like what? <laughs> what were we trying to accomplish here? Were we trying to have a bad night? Because that's what we've done, and we paid a lot of money for it. <laughs> Someone's Next under the just table. Pizza. Someone's spilling something. Someone's crying. And you get the bill as fast as you possibly can and chug your glass of wine and drive home and say, let's never do that again. Um, all right. Noah wants to talk about Jake Muzzin. Um, he says it seems like Jake Muzzin might be done for the rest of his career. Uh you know, as a hometown boy, I was happy to see him with the Leafs, but he's his family to think about. Is there a chance the Leafs make a big splash with the cap space and swing on a, another defenseman for the top four? Yeah, I'm, I think so. I mean, if, I, I encourage people to read the column I wrote last week talking about this where, you know, there was a lot of people calling for Sheldon Keefe's head and talking about Barry Trotz. And I, I said, I really think that the move here is You've got five point six million in cap space from Jake Muzzin that you can spend, and where they need help is on defense. And now we'll see if it's stabilized here with Logren there and and with Hall playing a little bit better. But I still think going into the playoffs, you're going to want an upgrade there. Yes, agreed. Like I still look at this group and I think mm, I don't think that's good enough. No, I mean if you want to go four rounds and play against really really good teams, then you you want you want to upgrade. So, you know, now that they've there's some cap, I I I don't think Muzzin's going to be back this year. I, it's not completely out of the question, but 
just from what I've heard behind the scenes, it doesn't sound like it doesn't it doesn't sound good, unfortunately. So, James, like obviously, you want Jake Muzzin's life to be okay. That's like the the priority. Um, but as for like the team right now without him, are you a little surprised that they haven't? dialed things up a little bit more for Mark Giordano. I know he's the oldest defenseman in the league. He's 39. I'm just a little surprised. It's worked out now because Brody Hall has worked, but I'm just a little surprised that he wasn't the first instinct to shore things up. Are you, or is it just he's old? And, yeah, I think yeah. I think they've realized that they get the most out of him on the third pair as kind of a, a depth guy, and that that's at, at this stage of his career, that's where he's best to play. I think he's been fine. I mean, I think he's looked really solid and it'll be interesting to see what they do here as as players get healthy and i don't know like giordano and Lilgren played so well as the third pair last year but the leafs don't really have the luxury of of doing that again so it's i guess you're trying to recapture some of that with giordano and sandine playing together and and hopefully hopefully hoping that sandine gets you know improves his play and and can get back to you know some of his better games that he had last year. Yeah, I guess the guy you're really trying to upgrade is Hall, basically, right? Yeah, I think if you have Hall on your third pair and and he's killing penalties and he's playing you know 14 minutes a game instead of 20, I think you're in a you're in a better spot. And, yeah. and I think if Hall wasn't playing against other teams' top lines, people would be would not be noticing him as much and would be complaining about him a lot less. It's just you're asking yeah, he's him. Been- you're asking him to do a lot right now. Yeah, but like James, like the last few games he's been playing against top lines with Brody and it's gone great. I know, but like, I mean, so maybe as like he a just playoff solution, someone- I don't like it. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. All right, what else you got? Uh, Warren wants to, we talked about this a little bit, but I think we can explore it a little bit more. He says, what are the Leafs options if Samsonov is out for a while? Uh, they have cap space, but is there anything available that they would want to pay for? The question for the Leafs is going to be, they're in LTIR. Uh, as I said before, Muzzin makes 5.6. They've already spent a little bit of that because Lilgren came back and they didn't subtract anyone from the roster. They've been carrying a, a bigger roster than the minimum. I think they have, at most, they probably have around $4 million in space. And given the needs elsewhere on the roster, especially on defense, how much of that $4 million, and you don't accrue more cap space when you're in LTIR, how much of that $4 million do you want to spend in goal or up front when your biggest need is potentially on the blue line. So that's going to be the decision for the Leafs is how how do they best use that $4 million? James, I know a guy in San Jose. Huh? Huh? Uh, rhyme time? He's, he's a goalie, yeah. Yeah. But that, I I, I, that only makes sense like if you're, you're seeking like a more – well, a longer term solution. I think right? that that is something. I mean, and they R- don't seem to be that. Reimer's been available in the past, you know, as a free agent, and he's been someone we've suggested. And I just haven't gotten the sense that the this Leafs front office views him as, you know, San Jose is going to. They're down at the bottom of the league. They're they're they've made it known around the league that they're willing to trade whoever. Um. I just, I don't know. The question for the Leafs is going to be, they're they're hoping that they can get through the next, let's say, two months of the year without needing to make a deal and then see what they've got in some players and see how they feel about, 
you know, Lilgren playing with Riley and, and, and see how they feel about their goalies and see what Murray does when he gets back and see how long Samsonov's out and then make a decision when they have more information about everybody on the roster. Um, but I can see a scenario where you get closer to the trade deadline and it's like, yeah, we would like another goalie. We would like another defenseman. We would potentially like another forward. And they're just not going to be able to fill all of those needs. I wonder though, James, like as you're talking, I'm thinking ahead to the playoffs. If they almost have to, before the trade deadline, that's obviously a long time away, get another, like do what they did with Riddick just for security's purpose, just because like of the injury risk with Murray and you know what I mean? Like just have another guy yep. who's at least playing the league. So if like you get into that situation, you're not staring down at Chalgren. Well, if it's a Riddick kind of goalie, they're not going to have a big salary. And right. So, but I just think that, you know, you, like I said, you can't accrue cap space. You probably only have max 4 million unless, I mean, the other thing they could do is they could trade some money out, right? Like they could, yep. they could push money out. Well, if you're trading for a defenseman, like maybe that deal involves Justin Hall, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's really going to depend how he plays over the next couple of months because he's a pending UFA. And, but, th- you know, there are ways that they could get creative. But I could see them getting, you know, into the second half of the season and they have multiple needs and they're going to have to really think about. And the other thing they're going to have to think about too, Jonas, and this is early to talk about this, is how willing are they to trade first-round picks? How willing are they to trade prospects? You know, how, how much are they going to push in to to go for it this year at the deadline. Well, man, James, that is a that's a huge conversation that we'll have to have at some point because obviously we know their GM doesn't have a contract beyond the season, and so like, is he allowed to carte blanche like just trade whatever he wants? I don't know. Like that's interesting, um, and, and partly why it doesn't make sense not to give him a contract extension beyond the year. But that's a whole other conversation. Anyway, well, you do get into some sort ahead. of like existential questions over yeah. like. Should the GM be allowed to trade his first round pick? You know, it's yeah, he should. But if he's the GM, he's the GM. But yeah, anyway, go ahead. It's uh, from what I can tell. There's there's some nervousness now about how many first round picks they've traded, and you know, the, there are people in the organization that feel burned by the Felino experience and how few. Well, that's a sunk cost, James. That's all. Like yeah. I don't know that 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 should but impact I, what you do I, now. I, no? I don't know. I mean, I've heard talk that potentially it does impact and then but but then you're in a season like this and it's such an important year and it's a contending year and you know you really you're running towards the end of of the Nylander Matthews Marner even Tavares contracts like if you're not going to push in now assuming assuming they're close to the playoffs you know at the trade deadline um or, or they're firmly in a playoff spot if you're not pushing in then then when are you exactly so there's going to have to be a willingness to trade some assets at some point. Anyway, like I said, we're getting ahead of ourselves. But um, Justin M wants to know: Is do you think they're still the Leafs are still willing to trade Wayne Simmons to give him a, a better opportunity somewhere else, uh, or is he with Abe Kubel gone? Is he just part of the team? Um, I think at some point the Leafs are probably going to get tighter against the cap and not be able to carry the extra forwards the way they are now and. I, I don't I think it's still really up in the air what what happens with with Wayne Simmons. To me, James, it's more like is there a team that wants to trade for Wayne Simmons? Like it's not like clearly the Leafs before they put him on waivers before 
offered him around, right? Like they were willing to trade him. There has to be another team that wants to trade for Wayne Simmons. He's right? waiting for, you know, like if, if they run into injuries up front, then Simmons is going to play more. And I, I, you know, he's, it seems pretty clear he doesn't want to play for the Marlies in the AHL. So, you know, if, if at some point they need to send him back down again, maybe, you know, well, like when Murray comes back, like that's a lot of LTIR room that they need to put back in the fold it's going to get it's going to get a little bit tighter especially if they try and acquire another goaltender uh <laughs> there's another question about too many men penalties we i think we already answered that last week right that's like an annual uh, a weekly question yeah uh, michael wants to know do you have any thoughts why the leafs do this and play down to bad teams and then play up to good teams the way they did against uh boston and carolina I mean, I think part part, I part of it part of it's human nature, right? Like that you're gonna you're gonna gear up, but it, it is frustrating. Especially, it's frustrating because they've done it for so long. Like they've done it for four or five years, and it's something that you know the coaching staff has talked them about, and then they still do it anyway. You think you think well, it's like you think you could yeah. course correct on that a little bit. Well, it's like if they played the way they played against Boston all the time, they would be the best team in the league. Like. But that's, I mean, you're not going to play like a perfect game every night. But you're, you're going to, you should be able to beat Arizona every though, night. Right? Like if you can play like that against Boston, oh, yeah. you should beat Arizona. Like we're not. Yes. That's focus, right? Like that's focus, I think. So it has to be. So why can't they focus? I don't know. It's a, it's a good question why it's not been there. Um, it's interesting, like the comparison to Boston, just like over the weekend and just some of the talk you hear the Leafs talk about Boston. It's like Boston has like this infrastructure in this foundation where it's like they don't have their best defenseman right now and they're off to this crazy start. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like yep. it's just like there's just something with their well, they have the a new foundation. Coach too. Like, like I I thought that maybe I thought maybe Boston like I th- I think Bruce Cassidy's a great coach. He's doing a great job in Vegas. I thought maybe losing him would potentially cause problems for them, but no, you know, and Boston's always one of those teams that's like more than the sum of their parts, it feels like. And you know, Allmark had like a pretty I would say just an okay year last season. I mean, look how good he's been early on this year. They've got a goalie injury too. Swayman's out right now, and and they're playing really yeah. well. So, I I don't there's there's something in the water in Boston where, and Bergeron's like the ageless man. Like it's just amazing how well he was thinking of retiring, and then you look at him out there, and it's like this guy still's got it. Well, maybe it comes from the top with a guy like him. Like there's something. I don't know, but it's like the Leafs of John Tavares. Like it's not like Tavares isn't every bit as respected that way. So I don't know. It's it's a strange thing. James P has a statement here and then a question. He says, Leafs without Lily equal shit. And then he says, Leafs with Lily equal awesome. Should Lilligren have held out for more money? I think that I think Lilligren's camp was like we feel good about where we fit into this blue line. We're potentially going to get a, an opportunity in the top four. We're going to play a lot of minutes. If he establishes himself firmly in the top four over this season and next season, and then comes up as an RFA with Arbrights, you know, if he's playing over 20 minutes a game, these, these two seasons, he's money's not going to be a problem for him. Like his next contract will be very, very generous. Yeah. Well, in this, this contract is not like he got underpaid. He had, he had one season in the league. Yeah, I guess that you could argue and they were happy to take that contract. Yeah, I guess you could argue they could do, they could have done a one year deal and then he plays really well this year and sets himself up. But 
Yeah. If he does it for two seasons, I mean, he could establish himself as like a really key part of the blue line. And then all of a sudden you look at guys like you look at what, what a Brody or Muzzin makes the cap is going up. You know, he Lilgren could be looking at, you know, five million a year, four million a year over a long period of time. And that's that's life changing money. So, you know, I, I think that they I think that they played it really well. Uh, Matt, yeah, wants to know, is, is Justin Hall playable again now that he's playing with Brody? Uh, can the Leafs make it work with those two together or do they need to try some other pairings? Is there any other switches on the blue line? Like, do you, uh, they're suggesting, uh, Sandine with Brody potentially and Giordano and Hall on the third pair. What do you think of that? It just goes back to what we were talking about with Giordano. It doesn't feel like, yeah, number one, that they want to stretch Giordano that way. And I don't know what a Sandine Brody like that kind of feels yeah well it it, it doesn't like a waste it doesn't I don't have know a, what it accomplishes yeah it doesn't have a purpose right like the the what they're looking for right now is they're thinking Brody Hall because they can play that 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 pairing in the D zone where the the other thing too Jonas I don't know about you but I haven't seen enough from Sandine where I'm like yeah I want this uh, he should be in the top four he should be playing more minutes like I just I don't know if it was I don't know if it was missing the chunk of training camp or if he's just more effective on the third pair or what it is but it, Sandine has not really stood out to me in most of the games this year. Do you think the the best signing of the Kyle Dubas era is TJ Brody? Uh, it was maybe the most one of the the most necessary signing like they He's just like perfect for what they needed. Like and he's he we never talk about him because like he's boring. Um but he's just good reliable. Like every night yeah. reliable, right? Yeah. And that's what the Leafs blue line lacked for so many years. You know, you can go back. You can go back since we've been covering the team. I mean, how many just really solid two-way defensemen has this organization had going back to like the Yuskeviches and Danny Markovs? And like, it's one of the things that they just, they haven't had. I mean, is is he the most reliable defenseman? Like, deep, I guess Muzzin? I don't know. Like, he's in the conversation. Yeah, Muzzin's another good example. Yeah. 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 Uh, Alex wants to know by how many votes will Lilgren win the Norris? So people are uh, people are getting really excited about about Lilgren coming back. I think that's Dom. Dom is like <laughs> Dom gave uh, Lilgren uh, a, a Calder Trophy vote last year. I think fifth on his ballot. I know. Uh, I told him was crazy. I know. I think I had him on the All Rookie Team. I think. I think he was my second All Rookie defenseman. Him and Cider. Really? I think so. Yeah. Well, who, who, Let me see where I had him. Who would you have? I had Dursey. Okay. And Logan was really good was last year. He was really good last year. So, you know, it was a big step for him. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if you want to answer this one. One question. Uh, Ian asks, uh, he wants our thoughts on the narrative that the Leafs lack killer instinct. How would you rate their mental? Oh, God. <laughs> I know. I knew I knew what you were gonna say. <laughs> you love that I one. I almost skipped it, but I just I wanted your reaction. Uh, you just wanted to needle me a little well, bit. Well let me he he's got more to the question, so let maybe you'll like the rest of it better. How would you rate sure. how would you rate their mental toughness so far this season? Uh is this something they can improve by swapping one or two players for some so called character players? I'm more focused like to me, I, I focus more on tangibly stuff like i think they need another center i think they could use an upgrade in their top nine and i think they have gotten in trouble in the past when they have said we need to add more 
quote unquote character guys, that's where I stand. What about you? I think that makes sense, but I also understand why the narrative is there because for one, the team has talked about it and said we need more killer instinct. I mean, coming out of you know up three one on Montreal in that playoff series and then blowing it, you know, it's it's natural that that becomes part of the conversation around the team. Like they they created this. Right, but they added quote unquote character players and it did not help them at all. Like they added Nick Felino for quote unquote like character. They added Joe Thornton for character. Like they have Wayne Simmons. Like ultimately to me it's it's talent. You need better players. I don't know. Like or they or the other thing, like and or the other thing is like they need their better players to be better than they have been when it matters most. They need their goaltending to be better than it has been when it matters most. They need their power play to be better than it has been when it matters most. Like to me, those are things that are more important. But yeah, but the question, Jonas, is just why are those things failing at the important moments? Like like what what is is that is that a character defect in this this team? And how do you fix it? How do you make sure that it doesn't come apart at the seams when you're in an important moment? I, I can't say that that's a character defect. I, I just don't, I don't have any way to quantify that. And, and I think what I've seen in sports for so long is like, we think one thing about a person or a player along those lines, and then they do it. And it's like, well, that's not an issue anymore. Like LeBron James early in his career, people are like, well, this guy can't get it done. Michael Jordan, like maybe considered the greatest winner of all time for the first seven, eight years of his career was like, this guy doesn't win anything. All these nice dunks don't mean anything. Like he can't win. And then it's like, well, then he wins a bunch of titles and now he's considered like the the winner of his generation. So I don't know. All right, I got one we can end on here, okay? Okay. Darren asks, what would have happened if the Leafs had not waived Abe Kubel when they did? And we're at the fifty contract limit when Samsonov got hurt. Would they still have been able to sign a goalie in time for the game against Carolina? Or would they have had to wait for what waivers process to play out first? Waivers doesn't help them. I mean, unless someone gets unless someone gets claimed, right? So I I believe the answer to this is they would have had to find a way to get rid of one of those contracts on their 50. And if you look at who's on that list, I mean, there's a bunch of Marley's guys. And normally what happens when teams run up against the contract limit and they want to make a move is you call another organization and say, we'll give you this this AHL player will give you, I don't know, Max Ellis or whatever, like, you know, some guy who's deep in your organization who has an NHL contract. We just, it was like, we need to shed a contract. Here you go. And you just need to find, the, 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 there's probably like, there's like an email list that, you know, Kyle Dubas could send out an email to every team in the league and say, who wants this guy? He's free. We need to shed a contract. It's not an ideal situation to be in, but that's, that's what would have had to have happened before they signed. Petruzzelli to the contract. Or they could have just signed a, an amateur goalie for the night. Yeah, but it's tricky right? though in on the road in Carolina getting an amateur goalie down there on last last minute notice. It's a bit well, different. Well, they have like one of these U of T guys who practices with them sometimes. Like you yeah. just bring them, right? Uh, yeah, I guess. I mean, it's not ideal. Like, but wouldn't but the team the team would have flown the night before. Like they flew after they played Boston at home. So right, like, but it's not impossible to get a flight. On so you're getting some U of T guy on a plane. Anyway, I mean, yeah, th- that would have been the other option. But I think we would probably try and just disappear a contract really quickly to somewhere else. I mean, I look 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 through the 50 contract 
who's on that list and look at who they could have just disappeared. And that's probably not Max Ellis. I like Max. Ellis. I know. So I, 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 re- I was reluctant to put his name out there because I, he looked really good in the, in, in the preseason. Um, you know, and it, I just looking, uh, I looked at the list, Jonas, and to be honest with you, I, I had a hard time deciding which one I would want to get rid of. It w- there wasn't like one that was really obvious. There's like, I'm ready to give up on this guy. Yeah. Maybe SDA. He's been good. He's been good. One of our writers is actually working on a story on him. So I just don't like, is he an NHL or I don't know, but I I mean, he's only 22. I don't know. Like there's not a lot of, there's not anyone. I, these are all pretty like interesting prospects. Gogolev. Yeah. The guys that have um, NHL deals are all, well, they, they gave Curtis Douglas an NHL deal, right? Yeah. But like, no, I know. I mean, I, I don't. I, I'm not a believer, but he's interesting. Like he's he's growing. I don't know. We saw with Machen Marchman, a guy you know, who couldn't skate became an NHL player. You know what? I, I actually think Jonas. I think the 50 contract limit is too low. I think it should be higher than that. I think it should be 55 or 58 or something. Because I, I, you know, like you 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 have your let's say you have 23 man NHL roster. We're going in the weeds again here. And then you, you have some injuries. So then it goes. You, you, sometimes you can have 26, 27 players around the NHL team. It doesn't leave a lot of other guys with NHL contracts. You factor in injuries like Joseph Wall's taking up an NHL contract right now. I think there should be a little bit more give. Like you should be able to have at least like 55 to account for injuries. This is a naive question, but why, why does it need to be 50? Like why, why couldn't it be a hundred? Like what's the, why do you put a limit on it? I think they don't want teams to like hoard a whole bunch of players. Yeah. I guess that would be bad for the players in certain situations, right? Yeah. It's a good question. I don't know. I've never asked anyone that question, but I believe it's the same thing with why why does waivers exist? It's because they the players don't want to get basically hoarded in the in the minors by an organization. Right. All right. I love when we get deep into the weeds like this. This That's is great. Good. It's fun. Yeah, it yeah. is. All right. Well, James. That's it. That's all we have for the day. Uh, so the Leafs play Tuesday against Vegas, and they have a back-to-back Pittsburgh-Vancouver, and then the following week they play in Pittsburgh, home to Jersey, home to Buffalo. Some interesting teams coming in. Pittsburgh really struggling. Here's here's another question that I think that would be relevant for you because I'm assuming you'll be writing about Lilgren here soon. Uh, huh. One of our listeners named Kyle wants to know, why does Lilgren use such a long stick? So... That could potentially be something you talk to him about. All right. Interesting. Interesting. All right. Well, James, thank you for chatting as always. Thank you to everybody for listening. We appreciate it. And that's it. Goodbye. See you later. See you, Jonas. Thanks for listening. <laughs>